Hey guys, thanks for watching online. We are honored that you chose to give us this time. We have people watching from all over the world. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, please come and be a part of one of our local campuses because your experience with church shouldn't end online. It should just begin there or be a supplement to being involved in a local community. So come uh, be a part of one of our local campuses. And, and if you live outside of our area, please contact us. You can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email us. Uh, we will be glad to do some research where you live and find a good healthy church to recommend to you to plug into because we want you to be involved in a community. So we hope these messages bless you. Uh, let us know if we can help you in any way. Uh, God bless you again. Thanks for watching and I look forward to seeing you really soon. All right, so we but hit play last week on this new series called God, Love, and Sex by talking about the purpose of marriage. Today we're going to turn up the volume just a bit by talking about the purpose of sex. So if you uh, have a child, fifth grade and under, this would be a good uh, opportunity for them to be in Soul Station, all right? This is rated PG. We're not going to be uh, crude and we're not going to be crass, but we are going to have a spiritual talk about the birds and the bees, all right? And so uh, fifth grade and under, we have a program called Soul Station. It's where they really should be every week because it's uh, uh, arranged and designed for their age and to, to help them understand how to worship in their age and the things about God. And so, so you know, that's where they should be but sixth grade and up, we want them here because we want uh, our sixth graders and up to learn about sex from the Bible, not the locker room or a slumber party, okay? We want them to learn in biblical community, not from social media. And so uh, we really uh, want them to be here. And so, uh, you know, as we kick off, I want to give you some laws. We're going to be talking about God's law regarding sex. That's what we said. It's God, love, and sex. We're talking about what God thinks about love and sex. And we know that the world basically thinks that what God thinks about love and sex is archaic and ridiculous. And well, let me give you some laws uh, that the world has about sex. Uh, and I'm talking about literal laws that are literally on the books around the world. Okay. Listen to this in London, England, it is illegal to have sex on a parked motorcycle. Now, I guess if you're good enough to do it at 65, more power to you. I don't know. You're a great multitasker. The Egyptians were the first to castrate a rapist, which I don't think is a bad idea. If it's proven, man, I guarantee you they won't rape again. Uh, but uh, they also cut the nose off of an adulteress to make her undesirable. Now, that's an adulteress, but it takes two to commit adultery. So what happened to the adulterer, right? That, that speaks to the culture in which the ancient Egyptians lived. Get this. Until 1884, guys, until 1884, a woman could be sent to prison for denying her husband. Now, guys, please wait till after church to start calling the popo, okay? Uh, in Minnesota, it's illegal for a man to have sex with a live fish. I mean, who? What? I, I, I mean, listen, I, I'm officially changing all of my redneck jokes from Alabama, Kentucky, East Tennessee to Minnesota, all right? So, I mean, that's a... In Rombach, Virginia, it's illegal to have sex with the lights on. Man, there must be some ugly people in Rombach, Virginia. I'm telling you. What would cause you to create that law? In Washington State, it's illegal to have sex with a virgin under any circumstances, even on her wedding night. Now, I, somebody needs to have a talk about the virgin and the beat. Do they know how a virgin becomes not a virgin? I mean... <laughs> In Willowdale, or you know, I mean, you got five women with kids in, in Washington. Uh, you had, I'm a virgin, you know, you had five kids. I mean, what, are they crazy? What is it? In Willowdale, Oregon, it's illegal for a husband to curse during sex. 
<laughs> oh, the rabbits. Uh, <laughs> you know, who enforces these? Uh, the <laughs> the popos outside the door. All right, listen. In Oblong, Illinois, it's illegal to have sex while hunting and fishing on your wedding day. In Newcastle, Wyoming, it's illegal. Now, get this. I'm telling you what. I, in, New, in Newcastle, Wyoming, it's illegal to have sex inside of a store's walk-in meat freezer. I don't even know how that would be possible. <laughs> the squirrels that run across the stage on that one. I ain't kidding you. And some people think God's laws on sex are crazy. It, some people ask this, and some people think God's laws on sex are crazy. Here's what I want you to leave today. I want you to leave knowing that God's laws on sex, and he gives laws on sex, and his laws on sex are not to ruin your fun. They're not to prohibit you from experiencing the pleasure of sex. They are to help you have the best sex you can ever imagine, better than any romance novel can ever write about or any low-budget film can ever depict, okay? And so that's what God's laws about sex are for. Now, as I've said, Americans are very polytheistic, meaning we worship many gods, okay? Now, uh, we don't worship a fertility God or a harvest God. We're much too cultured for that. But what we do is we worship a sex God and a money God. Your friends probably might not bow down to a golden idol, but gold is their idol, okay? I mean, Aphrodite is a Greek word. And it's where we get the word aphrodisiac because Aphrodite was a Greek mythological God of love, right? And so even though she was Greek mythological, there's another Greek word called porneia. Pornea is the root from which where we, where we get the word pornography, porn, and it's really a junk drawer in the Bible. The Bible talks about pornea. It's a junk drawer for all kind of sexual deviancy and sexual sin. And although Aphrodite is a Greek mythological god, pornea is alive and well and destroys the lives of millions of people who worship at her altar every single day. And so, listen, uh, worshiping money and sex is God rather than using them to worship God, is more destructive than ISIS. It's more destructive than ISIS, and so we want you to begin to wrap your mind around God's purpose of sex. Why did he create it? So this is not just for married people. This is for teenagers. This is for uh, 8 to 80. This is for, you know, or, or to the grave. This is, this is for everybody to understand. If you're a teenager, you are uh, at a point in your life to where you've got hormones and they begin to rage. And I want you to understand that's not bad. Don't let anyone tell you that's bad. We want you to understand why they're there, what they're for, what God created them for, to be glorious and amazing. And, and, and we want you to understand if you're marriage, why uh, the best sex is within marriage, and if you, uh, not before marriage, and not outside of marriage. And, and, and we're going to understand God's laws because we want you to not uh, be uh, literally train wreck your life. We want you to experience life as God created it. And so that's why we're talking about this. And God created us as sexual beings. But God's purpose in creation of sex was destroyed. It was, it was God's purpose, I'm sorry, was distorted. It wasn't destroyed, it was distorted. It was warped, it was broken by sin when Adam and Eve bit the dust in the Garden of Eden. And that's why today, uh, sex before marriage, 
sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, uh, deviancy, uh, uh, such as like bestiality. Uh, I, I mean, things like uh, gender confusion. All those things are the result of a broken view of what God intended sex to be and our sexuality to be. It's broken by sin. And, and, and so that's why these things are not only uh, rampant but accepted in our world accepted in our world and usually our views on sex run in one of two dishes to be honest I mean to be quite honest with you most of the world has a very hedonistic view on sex anyone anytime anywhere because it's purely physical it's purely for pleasure uh, I'm a man she's a woman we both consent I mean it's like almost like animalistic right it's it's hedonistic because it's like it's just for gratification uh, it, it's physical that's it that's a very hedonistic view now the church recognized this as a problem and what the church has done so often through history is, man, we pull out of the ditch, which is good because we need to help culture understand how God created it. But what we do historically is pull out of the ditch and drive into the other ditch. And so what the church began to do is they didn't know what to do with this because they knew that teenagers are, are you know, I mean, they have hormones. And so we don't know what to do with it. So we just say, don't have sex. It's horrible. It's bad. It's wrong. It's sinful. And outside of the bounds, it is. But inside of the bounds, it's not. But just leaving it at that, not helping them understand, helping culture to understand what the purpose is, leaves our kids dazed and confused and not knowing how to operate with inside of the culture that, that they live within. And it leaves people bringing all kind of baggage into marriage that really just destroys their, their, their marriage and what God created that to be. And so, so we want you to understand what God says. And here's the great thing is God is not silent on sex. God's not silent on any subject. He's not silent on any issue, and he's not silent on sex. Even though the subject was ignored by centuries, by, by legalistic churches, so to speak, God talks very graphically about sex in many places in the Bible, which makes sense because if God created sex for you to enjoy and for you to honor him, he's going to tell you how you can best enjoy it and better honor him in the way that he designed for it to be. And so, contrary to what prudish and legalistic Christians say, the Bible doesn't say that sex is bad. It doesn't say sex is ugly. It doesn't say it's sinful. It doesn't say it's nasty. It doesn't say don't do it. It doesn't say God turns his head when people, a husband and wife had sex. Actually, it says quite the opposite. The Bible says that sex done God's way within the bounds of God's law. God, it doesn't dishonor God, it honors him. And he's not turning his head, he's cheering us on when done in bounds and in regards to his law. And so let's talk about what that law is and how uh, we can help uh, you hopefully not train wreck your life in this area. And if you are in the midst of a train wreck, how we can help you pick up the pieces of that. So let's look at Genesis chapter one. We have to go back here. We wanted to understand marriage last week, so we went to Genesis. Well, that's exactly where we need to go when we understand this. And in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, here's what uh, God says. He says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, like marriage, God deals with sex in the opening pages of the Bible because he knows that if misused, it will destroy lives, it will destroy relationships, it will destroy marriages, it will destroy churches, it will destroy it's so destructive when misused. 
issues. Now, at LifePoint, we're committed to teaching you what God's Word says on any issue. Now, that should be a given, okay? But let me explain why I qualify and why I say that. Because our tendency is to go to God's Word. And if we like it, if we have no problem with it, great. But if we do, we, we have a tendency to come to God's Word and, and take away from it a little bit because maybe we don't like it. Maybe we don't agree with it. Maybe, maybe there's something there. And so our tendency, perhaps, is to go to God's Word and, and, and take away from it. And so that's where you get uh, all kinds of bad teachings on many different subjects because we've changed it. But it's just as bad to take God's Word and add to it things that aren't there. Say, well, God says this when God really doesn't say this. And that's exactly what we've done with a lot of subjects, specifically sex. The church has come in and said, well, here's what God says. We don't know how to deal with a teenager. We don't know how to deal with a single. And so let's go a few uh, steps further. Let's help God out a little bit. And that's just as bad. Well, we're not going to do any of that on any subject here at LifePoint. If it comes to any subject, if it comes to alcohol, if it comes to sex, if it comes to whatever, we want you to know what God's Word says because God's Word is perfect. You know, I can't make it better. Matter of fact, if I try to make it better, I'm going to mess it up. I can only mess it up and not make it better. And so what does God say about this issue? That's the issue. Because churches have fumbled. Many churches, for instance, have said, well, you know what? I mean, sex is real uh, and it's the way I got here. So you know what? Sex is only for procreation. This is one of the ways that the church has fumbled this issue. Sex is real. It's the way we got here. I don't know what to do with it. So it's only for procreation. It's about making babies. And do we really believe that? I mean, come on. Do we really believe that it's about procreation? I mean, obviously it is a part of sex. It is how we all got here, right? I mean, none of you just, uh, you know, just uh, happened to be, you didn't hatch, you were born, Right? And so sex was a part of your creation, right? And so, but is that it? You know, I've got to tell you, I don't think so. I mean, think about it. If, if sex is only about procreation, then why in the world did God make it so pleasurable? I think if it was only about procreation, he would have made it as painful for a man to have sex as for a woman to have a baby. Some of you women say, that's right. <laughs> so, I, but, but that's not about procreation. It's about pleasure. I mean, in Genesis 1, 27, the Bible is clear. It talked about, and that's why I read that passage, God blessed them. He made them male and female. He created them, and he blessed them, right? And he blessed them how? It's in the context of their sex life. He blessed their sex. He blessed it. It, it, It's not just for procreation. It is about pleasure. Now, think about it. When God created how babies come into the world, he created sex. He is God. He can do anything he wants to do. I mean, we look at how it is, and it's hard for us to think of any other way, but God could have created for babies to come into the lives of parents any way he wanted because he is God, right? I mean, God could have designed it to where a husband and a wife gaze into each other's eyes, do a secret handshake, jump up and down three times, bam, she's pregnant. Sounds silly, I know, but he's God. He could have done it. But listen, thank God he didn't do that, right, guys? He designed it to be the most pleasurable way possible through sex. Sex is not just for procreation, although it is, it is for amazing pleasure in the most pleasurable way possible. Next week, we're going to talk about some difference between men and women. Because as I'm talking to this crowd, I look out and there's men and there's women, there's husbands and wives. And you guys have different, we have different uh, perspectives because we have different needs. And so we're going to start unpacking some of those things next week. 
right? But what you're going to see is, is we're going to look at Song of Solomon. And in the Song of Solomon, if you've never read that book, you are going to say, what? That's in there? That's really in the Bible? I cannot believe God said that. Because God describes graphically Solomon's sexual relationship with his bride. It's so graphic that Hebrew boys couldn't read it because it was rated R. They could not read it until a certain age because it's so graphic. Why is it graphic? Because it's not talking about making babies. It's not a science class. Man, this was about pleasure. It doesn't even talk about babies in Song of Solomon. This is about pleasure. It's not just for procreation. And so it's about enjoying your spouse. And I mean, if you think about it, all right, now think about it. Uh, uh, Human beings are the only part of God's creation that enjoy sex face to face with our total bodies touching. Now think about that. We're the only part of creation. It's not in any part of the animal world. It's the only, humans are the only creatures that enjoy uh, this aspect of God's creation face to face with our total bodies touching. It's called dode in Hebrew. Dode is a word that means intermingling of souls. Matt Chandler, a friend of mine, has written a, a great book called Intermingling uh, uh, you know, uh, Our Souls. And I, I would, I would, it's, a, it's a strong read. Okay, and so, so uh, uh, intermingling of souls, it's not just physical, it's not just physical, obviously sex is physical, but it's not just physical, it's intermingling of your soul, not just your body, but your soul, it's spiritual, it's emotional. This is why it's only for a husband and a wife, it's only designed for marriage because of, of, of the depth of what it is. Let's look at Genesis 2, 24, one chapter over. He says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave whole fast. Now, we talked about this last week. It doesn't mean you write your mom and dad off. It means they're no longer the primary people in your life, your husband or your wife is, right? That's, that's the, now the number one man or the number one woman in your life, not your mom, not your dad. And he said, leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave. This is covenant language. Covenant language, and, and, and it's very important because we're going to talk about what that means and what this is all about. Because it's talking about covenant language in the context of sex. Hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh is obviously talking about sex, but it's talking about more, and it's talking in the context of covenant language. So let's, let's look at this and see what it means. And this right here will help us to get the depth of what sex is all about and why it's only uh, in marriage, not before, not after Okay, because it's much deeper. When a husband and wife have sex for the first time, hopefully, let me throw out a vision for you uh, young teenagers and even for those of you who are single, hopefully on your honeymoon, okay? When a husband and wife have sex for the first time, they're having more fun than they've ever legally had, right? I mean, they're becoming one physically, but something else is going on that's much, much deeper. God is doing something mysterious. He's doing something spiritual. That's why it's mysterious. He is making them one uh, uh, spiritually. Their souls are intermingling. It's what the Hebrew word dod is all about. It's an intermingling of our souls, right? And so marriage here is a covenant. It's not just a contract. Marriage is a covenant. 
You see, contracts and covenants are different. We in our world understand contracts. We really don't understand covenants. But in the Bible, in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, they would enter into covenants, not contracts, because covenants were more binding. When two people entered into a covenant relationship, they were entering into a relationship that couldn't be broken. Okay? And uh, we see that. And, and we know in the Old Testament, uh, kings would enter into covenants with each other. The nations would covenant together. Sometimes individuals would enter into covenants. God enter, in, entered into a covenant with the people of Israel. And in any covenant, the formula is basically the same for a covenant relationship. First, the terms are spelled out. If two nations were going into a covenant, the king would say, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to do this. You're going to do that right? The terms were spelled out. And you'd say, well, that's also in a contract. But in a contract, we write contracts today where we're going to do this, but there's all kind of clauses within that contract that give me an eject button, that give me a way out. If you don't live up to your end, I'm free from my obligation. That's not a covenant. A covenant is I'm entering into this with you. I'm doing my part regardless of whether you do your part. That's a covenant. So the terms were laid out. Okay, then when the terms were laid out, they would sacrifice. It was a blood and flesh sacrifice. Generally, an animal was sacrificed. The blood was shed. The sacrifice was made. And then they would consume the sacrifice. They would eat it all together. In consummation, a sealing of the covenant. Okay, a seal, S-E-A-L. A sealing, they were sealing the covenant and consuming the sacrifice. That was the general formula for a covenant, whether it's two nations, whether it's two people. That's what God did with the nation of Israel. That's part of why the animal sacrificial system came into being. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus, but God did not call Israel his people until after the covenant was established the animal sacrifices, and which pointed to Jesus. Now, come along, Jesus. Now, folks, this is so very important. Hang with me in this because this is the depth of sex. You're going to say, well, it's, well, sex is just physical. No, 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 no. If you get this, then you understand why not before marriage, not outside of marriage, between a husband and a wife, man and woman in general, but a husband and wife specific. You understand why? Because it's destructive and why it train wrecks outside of this because in that covenant, if you fast forward to Jesus Christ, God made a new covenant with his people, you and I. And how did that covenant, he laid out the covenant terms and, and listen, what did he do? He offered a flesh and blood sacrifice, Jesus Christ, his own son. Jesus was murdered, betrayed, perfect life, murdered on the cross. His blood was spilled the flesh and blood sacrifice, and that is consummated when we surrender everything we have, when we're consumed by him and he's consumed by us and our souls are united with him. That's the new covenant. It is ratified in faith. It is ratified. It is, it, it is spelled out. It, it, the, the sacrifice is made and it is ratified when we're consumed with Jesus and he is consumed with us and our hearts leap for his glory and that's what we live for. That's the ratification of the covenant. Now, let me help you to understand that is what God created sex to represent. And you're like, wow, what? I mean, mind blown. I just thought it was just about having fun or making babies and no, it's about something so much deeper. Oh, it's incredibly fun, right? It's how babies come into the world, but it's about something so much deeper than this. You see, when a man and woman get married, 
When a man and woman get married, when you stand before a pastor, and listen, America is is one of the few countries in the world to where uh, standing before a pastor uh, fulfills the legal obligation because in most countries, even, even in most Western European countries, Right, you don't go to a pastor. Uh, if if uh, our pastor at Life Point in Brussels, in some of our campuses, marry you, it, it has to be a legal union. You go do that just for your spiritual or religious purposes, but it has to be a legal thing that's binding by the by the government, right? And so that's what happens in most of the world. Uh, America, the fact that I can do it and it serves, it's legal. It's 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 also spiritual. Man, that, that that's incredible because what happens is when a man and woman biblically. Biblically, when a man and woman get married, they stand before a pastor here, a Christian marriage. In a Christian marriage, we stand before a pastor and we lay out the covenant terms. We're making a covenant with each other before God. We're involved, God's involved in this covenant. If you're a Christian and you got married, not at the court of the, you know, not at the justice of the peace, not, I mean, you had a Christian marriage then what happens is you, even, now, now don't get me wrong, the justice of the peace, you're married, you're married, okay, biblically, okay, but what I'm saying is you enter into a Christian marriage, you are standing before a God, you're laying out the covenant terms, you're making covenant vows for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, yada, 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 yada whatever vows, you might have made your own vows that talked about, oh man, all this, this stuff that was cheesy in some ways and beautiful in another. Right, I mean, but you're making all these covenant vows. You're laying out the covenant terms, and 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 what happens is you're making a vow to each other before God, and then God designs sex. That's how you consummate those vows. Sex is a a, a deeper reality. It is a spiritual symbol of a physical act. It is a deeper reality. So God designs sex. To be, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it, it's something supernatural and it's holy. God is knitting your souls together. It's not just about making babies. It seals the covenant that you make with each other before God at the altar. And then every time a husband and wife has sex after that, you're reminding each other. It's a reminder of the covenant vows you made. Now, whoa, that's a little bit deeper. What I've just spelled out is a little bit deeper than just having babies or even just having just, just, just pleasure. And it is all those. But it's a little bit deeper. That's why it's not hedonistic. That's why it's not anytime, anyplace, any, anyone, anytime, anywhere. That's why it's one man, one woman. Not before, not after marriage with anyone else. One man, one woman. Because you're, you're consummating the covenant and then you're reminding each other of the covenant over and over and over that keeps you pure and it keeps you holy. That's what sex is designed to do. That's what sex is designed to do. Sex is so pure and good that every time you have sex, it should be a worship experience, a spiritual experience. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you that if sex is never a spiritual worship experience for you, and hopefully I'm helping you understand a deeper reality today that will help you understand when with your husband and your wife you're having a, a, a sex, then it should lead to a spiritual worship experience because of what it represents. If it doesn't, you're missing out. If you've never connected those two, man, you're missing out on the best sex of your life. I promise you, it should be a worship experience. The best sex you'll ever have isn't something you read about, folks. It's not something you hear about. 
It's when you connect the physical act of sex with the spiritual reality of what it's intended to represent. Anything else is a cheap, cheap, cheap knockoff. Some of you are not enjoying the best sex of your life because you're, you're, you're wrapped up in a cheap knockoff. Some of you are so wrapped up in pornography, which is a complete knockoff that's got you believing something, a lie, and it's destroying your soul and train wrecking your life that you are far from experiencing the best sex of your life because you're so wrapped up in pornography. Some of you are hurting your future sexual relationship with your spouse because you're involved in a sexual relationship before marriage. Some of you are involved in extramarital stuff that is keeping you from experiencing the best sex of your life. It's a cheap knockoff. Now folks, let me tell you something. It might be fun, it might be pleasurable, it might be great sex, but it's not doed. And so it's a cheap knockoff that leaves you hollow, it leaves you wanting, and it sucks the life out of you, and it train wrecks your life. So since sex is designed to seal the covenant between a husband and a wife and to be a reminder of that covenant each time they experience it, you should never allow anything into your sex life that is a poor representation of that spiritual reality. Pornography should never be allowed into your life because it is a poor representation of that deep spiritual reality that's killing your life, destroying your soul if you're wrapped up in it. We wanna help you. Sex before marriage is a poor representation of that deep spiritual reality of the covenant between God and his people, the covenant with you and your spouse. Sex outside of marriage, a poor covenant a poor reality. It's a cheap knockoff. You should never allow anything in that destroys the imagery of what sex is created to do. And, and guys, listen, porn is not just, uh, ladies, listen, porn is not just for guys. We know that. Women are some of the fastest, uh, porn is growing among women faster than even among men at this rate. But I want to take that a step further and help you to understand that it's not just something that you have to watch on your phone, something you can't go buy a ticket to watch without being embarrassed to death. Listen, it, it, it is some of the romance novels that we read uh, and some of the movies like Fifty Shades of Grey and the Fifty Shades of Darker that's coming out. That's nothing but cheap women porn. I just want you to understand that. That's all it is. It creates, it creates images. It creates, uh, uh, it, it is absolutely a, a depiction of sex outside of what God intends it. And, and going and watching that, it dishonors your husband. It dishonors, more importantly, God, it dishonors you. And so, listen, any of those things are cheap knockoffs that destroy and ruin your sexual life the way God intended it to be. Now, Let's get, let's get very practical for a moment. Let me close this out by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7, verses 1 and 5. It's a great, great, very practical passage. Paul's talking here. 1 Corinthians is notably, uh, by many scholars, the first book ever written in the New Testament. Even the, the Gospel of Mark was actually the first gospel written, not Matthew. It's not chronological in that way. Uh, Mark was probably the first gospel, but 1 Corinthians is widely known among scholars as the first book written. There's a church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was off the rails. I mean, it was out of bounds. And so Paul wrote to correct them in many ways. Here he's correcting their sex. He says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, I'm going to explain this at the end. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with his woman. That's in quotes. This is about what they wrote. Okay. 
But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. we're We're a smart crowd. I don't have to explain that word, I hope. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement, two people have to agree, for a limited time, short time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come again, come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul's writing to the Corinthians to straighten out some issues in their life in the church. And obviously here we know one of the major issues. One of the major issues was that the women were having some major migraines on a nightly basis. Right? I mean, the women were having major headaches, but, uh, but it wasn't just the women. It was also some of the men were depriving their wives. Now, I know some of you guys are going, what? A dude that deprives his wife is Sasquatch. I don't think that dude exists. But he really does exist. The problem in a sexless marriage doesn't always fall with the woman. It's sometimes with a man. Okay? So here's the Paul's point is whether it's the man or whether it's the woman, some people in Corinth were depriving each other. And, and, and here's what they were doing. Paul's writing this to the Corinthians, and he gives us uh, some great insight into sex. Here's what he says. When he talks about, and later in this, if you go in and read it, he's going to say, I wish that you'd all remain as me. And he talks about here. Here's what he's saying, okay? He's saying that if you uh, can remain single, uh, then that's wonderful, Okay, that's wonderful. That's, that's, not a, that's not describing what should happen. That's a prescription that God has given the gift of celibacy to some people. You know, it's very few people. It's not in any way the norm. It's not the majority. It's the huge minority of people. There are some people that that's very healthy, that God has not given a passion for sex, and it's very healthy. The reason he's get, not given them that is for spiritual purposes, and, 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 and Paul acknowledges that. That's what Paul said he had. And so, so in other words, Paul says, if, if you can remain single, because here's the thing, man, if you can remain single, the only reason for that, Paul said, is to focus 100% wholly on serving the Lord. Because, you know, if you've got a wife and kids, now I've got a wife and five kids, man, I've got to take care of some business, you know? I mean, I'd love to study and pray and, and, and just be preaching every day all day long, but I got to do some things to take care of my wife and kids, right? I mean, and so Paul says, you got to if you're a husband uh, or you're worse than a, an unbeliever if you don't take care of your wife and kids. And so he says basically that what his point here is this, man, if you can do that and not burn with passion to it leads to sexual temptation, awesome. Give 100%, 24-7 to the Lord, but that's not the norm, Okay. That's not Pat Hood. That's not most of you, okay? That's not the norm. So what do you do? So here's what he says. He says, husbands and wives, some of you are depriving each other. Some of you women, you continually tell your husband no. Some of you men are doing the same thing. Either way, whether it's a husband or man, Paul said, stop doing it. It's sin for you to deprive your husband of sex, and it's sin for the husband to deprive her, his wife of sex. Or it's sin for a husband to not give his wife the affection she desires. Stop depriving each other of their needs. You can go, this is a general principle of our needs, okay? 
specifically talking about sex, but it's a general principle of our needs. So if you're concerned about yourself, if you're concerned about what you want, not meeting your spouse's needs, this is the essence of sin. Paul says, you're in sin, so stop depriving each other of their sexual need. Now, some of you women right now are going, oh, here we go. Some of you men are going, I'm, dude, I'm paying double tithe today. I'm doubling down on this message. We'll take it if you want to give it. So, uh, but Paul, now, now let me explain what this means, okay? Now, Paul is not saying, let me tell you, and this is for guys, and this is for Paul is not saying, guys, your wife has to have sex with you every time you want to have sex, okay? That's not what he is saying. There are legitimate times, you know, when, when your wife will legitimately have a headache, okay? One of the, somebody told me a great, a great secret here. One of the greatest ways for you to do that is every night before your wife can say whether she does or not, just bring her a bottle of uh, ibuprofen. And she says, what's that for for your headache? And she says, I don't have one. You got her. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> there you go. All right. Get ahead of it, guys. Be sm- you got to be smarter. Out fox to fox. All right. Listen. The, the games don't ch- stop when you get married, okay? So, anyway, but there's legitimately nights when, listen, she has a headache. There's legitimately nights, dudes, when you are wore out, you're tired, right? So, that's not saying every time your wife or your husband wants to have sex, you got to have sex with them. So, guys, understand that if, if you go to your wife and she says no, that means no. That means that, that, that she might have a legitimate issue. And what you have to do is then you love her as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do? He laid down his life for hers. He served her needs. And so at that point, you love her as Christ loved the church. Dudes, that's how you respond. Okay? So, so it's not saying that you have sex every time. But let me tell you, if that's the norm, there's a problem. If the husband feels like his wife uh, rejects his uh, advances or his needs on a regular basis, there is a sin problem within that marriage. It might be with the lady, it might be uh, the wife, it might be with the, no sin, you know, uh, no issue is solely, generally, one responsibility. So I would have to get into major counseling to figure that out. But there is a sin problem somewhere within that marriage. But I will say this, if there is a continual rejection from the wife to her husband, the wife is, a, is in sin. If there's a continual rejection uh, from the husband to the wife, the husband is in sin. If the wi- husband doesn't uh, meet his wife's needs for affection, that is sin. Okay? It's selfish sin. You can say, well, it's not as important to me as it is to him. That's fine. It might not be. You're still obligated spiritually, biblically uh, from the, to, to meet your husband's need. Vice versa for the, you can, men, dudes, you can say, well, you know what? I don't need affection. It's not as important to me as it is to her. I mean, I'm, I'm on go, right? So it's not about, that doesn't mean you don't have to meet that need. So if it's a, if it's a continual problem and you've got to understand, right? I mean, things change in marriage. I mean, when people get married, the frequency of their sex life is like after dinner, right? But then life begins to happen. I mean, man, both of you normally work. In today's world, it's hard to make it if both don't work. You both normally work, so you're stressed. You're tired. You have kids, that's a whole nother level of stress and tired, right? You have health problems. You have finance problems. You have boss problems. You have all these problems. And before you know it, here's what can happen. Before you know it, the frequency of your sex life moves from like after dinner to like after Christmas, okay? And, and that's a problem. 
Paul is acknowledging that's a problem because it leads to sexual temptation. It leads to sexual temptation. And so if we continually neglect one another, if a, if, if a wife continually neglects her husband, sexual advances or sexual needs, then it leads to temptation, whether it's pornography, whether it's extramarital affairs, whether it's moving in a direction, it leads to temptation. If a, if a husband continually uh, neglects his wife's need for affection and attention, right, and doing things, a lot of you guys, man, you don't even think about serving your wife. You know, someone told me the other day, man, it's, you, you know, it's not foreplay, it's chore play. I mean, just do some things for them, right? And you, you neglect that, you neglect serving your wife, Listen, uh, before you know it, there's sexual t t temptation. I mean, she begins to talk to, well, he, he under, this guy understands me at work. Don't ever talk to somebody of the opposite sex about your marriage, right? Matter of fact, don't get on Facebook. Don't find an old boyfriend or old girlfriend. If you're on Facebook and you've got an old boyfriend or girlfriend that was a part of your life, did need to delete them, okay? That's just like stupid. I mean, I'm like playing Russian roulette. It's a loaded gun. I'm going to get hurt. Okay, and so, so uh, you know, if you neglect, it's leading to sexual temptation. And so Paul says, don't do that. You've got to love her as Christ loved the church. You've got to submit to him as the church submit to Christ. And you've got to serve each other, be more concerned about the needs of each other. That's called spiritual growth, by the way. Except, Paul says, there's one reason, one reason that you can, and it's only by agreeance. It's only when you agree. And that is for a spiritual purpose. If you need to fast, right? If you want to fast, guys, and you're spiritual, you want to grow in your life, and you want to fast, you want to say, baby, I want to take three days, I want to take a week, and I want to fast, and I want to pray, and I want to focus on the Lord, then you talk to her about that, or if you want to do it, ladies, you talk to him about it, and he agrees with it, and then it says, come together quickly. You go on a mission trip, that's a, a spiritual purpose. I'm gone for a week, so you talk about that, you deal with it, you, 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 you know, you pray about it, and then, you know, and it says come back together quickly. What that doesn't mean is, you know, I mean, now, my wife, she's a very spiritual lady, and so she caught on to this, right? And so, you know, I mean, you know, she goes to bed before I do sometimes. I finish up a ball game or something, I get in a bed, and, you know, I'm getting in a bed, and I'm like, hey, baby, and she says, shh, I'm praying. <laughs> I mean... See, the, she, she, she foxed, she outfoxed me. I mean, I'm the pastor, what am I gonna say? Well, stop praying. <laughs> you know? So, we laugh about that every now and then. Sometimes we fight about that. No. <laughs> anyway, so the, the point is, Paul says there's one reason, and that's if you both agree about it, right? If you both agree. Okay, now, now uh, here, here's the thing. We, we, we talked about this. Uh, we, we talked about the fact that it leads to sexual temptation. Let me make sure you understand. Dudes, if your wife does not meet your sexual needs, and that's a sin problem on her part, or, or, and with you having some responsibility, because maybe you're just selfish and worried about yourself, and she's just tired of that. But either way, if she's not meeting your needs, Paul says, acknowledges, that does lead to sexual temptation, but let me tell you what it does not do is ever give you an excuse to, to commit sin. It never gives you an excuse to commit sin. No matter uh, if, if your husband, ladies, does not meet your need for affection and all that kind of stuff, that never excuses you. That never excuses you to commit sin. Never. And so here's what we want you to do, okay? Man, 
we're going to preach God's word because it's God's word, and that's, that's what I'm obliged to do. It's what I'm commanded to do, and that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, it, it might land me in jail. It might cost me my job. Whatever. I'm going to preach God's word. I'm committed to God's word. I'm also committed to you. I, I want what's best for you. I am charged as your pastor with wanting what's best for you. That's why we talk about these things. The thing I've talked about today train wrecks so many lives. You see it. You, you see it. You see it in your family. You see it in your friends and your neighbors. You see it, on, I mean, all over in the news. It train wrecks lives. Folks, listen, God knows how this works best. I hope today you've learned that it's much, much, much deeper than physical. And teenagers, I want you to know you have hormones. And that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. And you're going to know one day, but we ask you to have the spiritual commitment and the self-control and the maturity to not be animalistic and say, you know what? I'm going to wait until I'm married. So you'd say, man, I blew it. It's too late. Guess what? Oh, God's a God of grace. And when there's repentance, there's restoration. There's hope. God forgives and he restores and Man, it's, it, that's what makes God so amazing. And so I would say repent, which means I'm going the other direction. Just today, you don't do it. That means some of you might need to break up with your boyfriend today or your girlfriend. Now, I would tell you, go do that. And when you do that, if, if, if they're in a sexual relationship involved, and especially if they're not a Christian, but you might even need to if they're a Christian. Now, when you have that and say, man, we've got to break up because we can't do this, and, you know, and, and, and if you do that and you tell them I said that, tell them please not to call me until tomorrow. The playoffs are today, and I want to watch the games. Okay, they can email me tomorrow. Tell them Kyle said it. Let them call him. He'll have a good answer. <laughs> but, you know, it, singles, it doesn't matter if you're a teenager or if you're 70. It's only between a husband and a wife. It's only between a husband and a wife. That's the way God designed it. Not to kill your fun, but to help you to have the best sex you've ever had. My, sex that you can't even imagine better than anything you can read about or watch on a low budget, better than anything anybody can ever describe in a locker room or a slumber party, better than anything you can even think if God's way because it's about a covenant and it's about sealing a covenant and reminding you of the covenant. It's much deeper. So it's only between a man and a woman in general, a man and a woman, and a specifically a husband and a wife. Not just any man and woman, a husband and a wife. Some of you are uh, married, and man, you're in an extramarital affair, and listen, we, we want to help you with that. You're train wrecking your life, and you're going to train wreck the lives. You continue going, and it's going to train wreck the life. Listen, if you love your kids, if you love your wife, if you love your God, come and talk to us about it. Some of you are not yet, but you're thinking about it right now. I want to tell you with everything within me, you are, you are buying a lie buying a lie that you're telling yourself, buying a lie that the enemy is selling you to destroy your life and the lives of all those around you. Stop. Stop where you are. Stop. Let us, let us talk to you. There's hope, okay? No matter what you've done in your sexual past, there's, there's freedom. There's, when there's repentance, there's forgiveness and restoration. No matter what you've done, come and talk to us. We want to help you understand what that is, okay? I'm going to pray, and Travis is going to come, and we're going to continue this next week, so come back, bring people with you. I think this thing right here, if people could get their minds around what God says about everything, it would make such a difference. Thank you for being here. Thank you for letting us talk about God's Word.
We're going to respond now. Some of you are going to respond. And here's what I, oh, 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 uh, homework. Let me give you some homework as we pray. Uh, I want you to talk this week. As I said last week, go on a date. Well, you might go on a date, but get by yourself. And I want you to talk to each other. And I want to lay some ground rules here. No defenses go up, okay? No matter what your wife or your husband says, you can't get defensive. You can't get defensive. But I want you to say, how can our sex life be better? Am I meeting your needs? How can I do better? Man, those are dangerous questions, especially when I say no defenses because I, you can't get defensive. People's feelings are feelings, and you getting defensive is not going to change their feeling. If you really love your spouse, if you really love your God, then you, you, you need to ask. You need to have this question. Now, it might not be at, at, a, at a table at a restaurant. You need to ask that question. <laughs> but you need to ask each other that question. You need to do some checkups, Okay. We got a marriage retreat. I think we only have like, I don't know how many rooms now, but I think uh, it's, it's at a hotel and, and there's rooms and we're staying all night and all that stuff and it's in February and I think we only had like 12 rooms left so you might want to come and see somebody today. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like there, okay? That's another thing that you can do. Um, but talk this week, okay? If you, need to, uh, if you need us, call us. We're there. It's, we, we help you. Uh, Amy helps women with this. My Amy, I help women. Kyle, uh, not I help men with this. <laughs> Amy helps women. I, I help men with this. Uh, marriages. We have Rodney. We have Selma. Uh, our staff. Help. We, we want to help you, okay? We love you. We're not gonna th we we want to help you with this, all right? So R Travis is coming. I'm going to pray. We're going to respond by giving our tithes and offerings. Uh, uh, hope some of you do double down today. I'm just kidding. Uh, we're going to give our tithes and offerings. You respond however God's leading you, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for your amazing grace. God, we're grateful for sex. Thank you that you created sex, not just for procreation, but for pleasure. God, thank you that you, you talk about everything in your word. There's nothing that you're silent on. And I pray that we would just commit to doing it your way and seeing what level of life we get from it. God, I pray you would break some chains today. I pray that you would break some chains that have people bound to pornography. God, and I know it's a deep bond. It's a, it's a slavery, and I pray that you would break those chains. I pray that you would break chains of, of uh, other sexual addictions. I, I, I pray that you would break people, the chains that hold people bound to their past. Father, because I know that there are real issues in this room. I know that there's some baggage and some husbands and wives that stem from, uh, from childhood that are, that are stuff that, Lord, we want to help them with. And I pray that you would break those chains today. God, we love you. And God, we thank you for the covenant that you made with us, that you are a faithful God who will never leave us. Thank you that you ratified that covenant with the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that we would be consumed with him. We would be consumed by his glory. And Lord, I pray that we would live our lives in honor of you by just simply doing what you tell us to do and seeing what happens. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name.